Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, alongside soccer journalist Sam Griswold and media executive Grail Hallett. Today on OTB, we check in with senior editor at Soccer America and regular contestant here on Over the Ball, Mike Wojtola. He'll be joining us. Uh, a lot going on. Champions League, Premier League, U.S. men's national team racked with injury. Oh, joy. And then the start of MLS season with a new Hans Zimmer penned theme song for MLS. I gave it a listen <laughs> yesterday and... Uh, and uh, 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 it ain't Bowie, man. I'll tell you that. All right. OTB is brought to you by Soccer America. Go to socceramerica.com slash join and sign up for Soccer America's pro membership. It's just $49 a year or $4.90 a month. OTB is also brought to you by Ticket IQ. Ticket IQ is the simplest and cheapest way to buy tickets anywhere. You can visit and register and download the app at ticketiq.com. And by the coronavirus. If you weren't scared enough about how things were going in this country, the coronavirus just made things a little scarier. Hey, guys, so, uh, you know, joking aside, the corona, not that that was much of a joke, but the coronavirus, coronavirus, uh, J-League canceled games, South Korea canceled games, and Sam, your Syria, ah, your beloved Syria, ah, what's going on there with the coronavirus? Yeah, a lot of disruption in uh, in Italy this uh, past week. Um, Four games were postponed last weekend um, due Mm -hmm. to the virus, obviously. Today... Inter play uh, against Ludogorets, a team from Bulgaria, um, at San Siro in Milan, and that'll be played behind closed doors, so without any fans. Uh, and th- this still hasn't been finalized, but it looks like you know a lot of the matches this weekend in Serie A will also be played um, in an empty stadium. Uh, hopefully, not the Derby d'Italia between Juventus and Inter, which is oh, perhaps that the would be blasphemy of the year. Uh, <laughs> there's talk of maybe moving that to Monday um, and then playing it with you know fans in the stadium but yeah a lot of, a lot of disruption certainly you know what hit me guys it's simple you just don't let fans go to games because of the coronavirus you should do the same thing because of racism right we yes. talked about it before that's how you yes. punish teams and look how easy it was for them to implement that so and uh, racism is a virus of sorts is oh, it, look, is at, it not? look at grail yes. with a nice turn of phrase I yes like that. of course that's why i'm um, here hey grail you and i will yes. be at a public event tonight where uh, i yes. am seeing the nutmeg awards nutmeg games awards dinner um, which is the nutmeg games grail both you and i are both from connecticut so uh, yes. it was the nutmeg state we're yes. named after a spice nobody's afraid of us but, uh, <laughs> part of part of the triangular trade that uh, it goes back that far but these are games i know massachusetts sam has the bay state games yep. uh, nutmeg games were not around when well I empire there. state games were in new york right yeah empire yep. state games so this is you know it's a it's a great thing last year they had a they gave an award to a 14-year-old uh, figure skater. Kid was nationally ranked. And then a, a guy who was 80 years old who, I don't know, did like a, you know, the 100-yard dash, <laughs> like an amount of time that was could beat me. Uh, it was pretty amazing. So uh, we'll be there. And uh, your friend from Greenwich, you waspy wealthy kids. Trey Wingo, my high, Greenwich High School classmate. Well, we, he was a few years behind me. But, uh, yes, we go way back. Trey is uh, – from Golik and Wingo on ESPN and uh, used to host NFL Live on ESPN and uh, just a wonderful guy, one of the funniest guys they know. So between you, two uh, guys, between you two guys, there will be no shortage of laughter up at the event. Well, I'm going to make fun of him on stage, so we'll see of course what happens. Because he sounds, like he sounds like a cowboy. Trey Wingo rode into <laughs> town. Well, he went to Baylor, you know. Oh, did he really? He did, yeah. That's great school. One of my safety yes. schools, as yes. I always say. <laughs> All right, so uh, why don't we start off with Champions League? Uh, some 
some uh, some fun games, man. Some comebacks. Uh, Just a uh, range of emotions, Flynn. I'm, it's uh, <laughs> It was Tuesday. you laughed. You laughed. You cried. No, two, well, Tuesday I did a lot of crying because oh, your beloved Chelsea, Chelsea. Well, I was just I was feeling uneasy the way the first half was unfolding, even though it was uh, nil all. You know, Bayern was taking it to us, and and by the way, to be fully transparent, I hadn't seen Bayern play a lot recently, and mm-hmm. my goodness, what an eye-opening experience that was. Thomas Mueller is back to the Thomas Mueller we knew of like five years ago. He's playing great. They got Lewandowski, and then they have this guy, Gnabry, who scored a couple goals, who's up front, and Alfonso Davis, a Canadian. Oh, my God, the wheels. The wheels on that kid. Flinny, this guy could win the 100-meter dash in the Olympics, and he plays left back, and he just went zipping by the defenders in the second half. So, yeah. A three 0 drubbing at Stamford Bridge, and you know he he did a he did a uh, what do they call it a, the French call it a grand bon, a, a yeah. big bridge where he, he knocked it around Astelacueta ran around yes. him and then yes. he chased down Mason Mount twice yes. got back goal side you know or a, a goal scoring opportunity Mount didn't know where the hell he came from he also chased down Ross Barkley yeah uh, he, he it, was this, fifteen yards behind these guys and made up the ground I mean just. I, I got to tell you, I, I was happy to see that because he did the same thing to the U.S. men's national team. And I'm like, oh, how bad are they at defending? Their yeah. angles are off. Everything are off. Well, Astelicueta and Barkley, all these guys were just getting schooled by speed. It's, it's, uh, you can't teach it, man. It's uh, to call it a tall order heading back to Bayern Munich for Chelsea down through down three, you know, three nil going into the next leg. Yeah. Uh, it's just not going to happen, but I've got to tell you just as a, a soccer fan, uh, Bayern Munich is, is back. If, if that's the way they, they play on a consistent basis, watch out for them. And then, of course, Neuer, Neuer's kind of playing, playing well again, you know, so they're solid in the back. Yeah. Really just an impressive thing. And, uh, Chelsea just looked dazed when it was over. I mean, they just got run. They got run over. I mean, it was you know, yeah, three, three goals in the span of about twenty five minutes in the second half, and and it was it was done right there. Yeah. We'll see how they do at home. I was uh, yeah, I was watching the game, worried about your personal safety during. Most of it. <laughs> so um, it, was, it was so depressing. But 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 again, I, I I was able to appreciate. I was able to appreciate how good Byron was. I was Napoli yeah. Barcelona guys. Check out that game. One one all. One all. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah. Um, it was, uh, you know, very, I don't know how you say it, very, uh, very black and white in the sense that Barcelona had pretty much all of the ball and were attacking the whole time and Napoli were uh, just, you know, defending with basically 11 men. Yeah. Uh, especially after they scored, you know, about midway through the first half, they really packed it in. Um, Cardinazio. But, um, yeah, I, I was impressed overall with how Napoli played. I mean, despite the fact that they were, you know, super defensive, they I think Barca only had one shot on goal, um, which they scored on. And Napoli had a couple chances that they probably should have put away were it not for, you know, Ter Stegen's heroics and goal. Yes. Um, so, I, you know, I mean, it's easy to criticize a team for packing it in, but I think there's also you have to be realistic and uh, understand that, you know, you're up against a superior opponent sometimes that's that's just what you have to do um right to win I think, yeah, yeah M- Messi had very little room I mean they like triple teamed him yeah they, they were, they you know were, that uh, was the, but that was the strategy was if we can get a goal up we're going to essentially go into a 6-2-2 formation 
Yeah. And we're going to force him. And, you know, and then it's up to the other team to figure it out. You know, Griezmann scored in the 57th minute. Um, and, uh, and, and they started, the play started opening up a, a little bit uh, at, at that point. But, uh, but you know, again, all props to Napoli. I mean, it's, I think it's going to be very tough going back to Camp Nou and, yeah, I, and, and I don't, finishing them off. But uh, Yeah, I don't think they have much of a chance to, to pass the tie. But, I mean, Barca will be without Vidal and Busquets. Busquets, yeah. The second leg. And they're, they're you know, the, the injury bug has, uh, has hit them. And, and by the way, Sam, I don't know if you saw that. The, <laughs> Vidal sometimes is one of the dumbest players <laughs> yeah. in football. Yeah. He's on a yellow card. And he comes over and basically makes it he, – he, like, bypasses the next – he basically makes a red, tar, red card infraction on his next tackle. And I'm like, what's the mentality of doing well, something so like he, that? Well, so he got – he wasn't on a yellow card technically. So he was about to get a yellow card for the tackle. Oh, I got and you. Then he was kind of contested by um, Mario Rui, the, uh, the Napoli player. They went head-to-head and kind of, you know, put yeah. one another. And then he picked up a second yellow for that. I got so he just got two in very quick succession. Okay. Yeah. Um, but again, I just find sometimes it's just like his, no, I mean, his, his temper, his temper, his gets lack the best of, of his logic is just absolutely. And those are two, those are, I mean, Busquets especially, that's a key guy to be losing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. In I mean, next what, leg. So what I thought was especially cool about this game, uh, what sort of raised it to like mythic level um, in Naples was this was the first time Messi had ever played in the San Paulo in Naples. Yeah. And, uh, I was amazed. You know, people made a huge deal about it because, you know, he's sort of seen as the heir to Maradona and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he was given this hero's welcome and um, yeah, it was, it was pretty funny to see. Uh, and, yeah. you know, I've, we've all seen that documentary, so we know what Maradona means. Sure. Um, and when that, in some ways, what, this was the return, I guess. And what, Na- yeah. well, the tap when the, the Napolitans are like, so uh, the, the greeting that they got there. So Man City come from behind win over Real Madrid. Um, wow. Wow. 538 uh, now has them as the best probability of winning the Champions League at 27%, followed by Bayern at 24%. I mean, what a game. I mean, I've got to tell you, I, 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 saw, I saw this match. I sat down and said, uh, I'm going to watch this match just because of the intrigue of it, just because also, you know, the whole pep thing, how despised he is in Madrid, how much people who live in Madrid hate people from Barcelona because the whole Catalan thing. So the the side stories were just phenomenal, right? But uh, interestingly, you know, Aguero and Sterling did not start for City, and Tony Kroos did not start, nor I I don't even think he played uh, for Real Madrid. Maybe he's nursing an injury or something. But so to start the game, some interesting you know, uh, strategy on both sides. And um, Jesus misses an early chance. But then in the 30th minute, Laporte, who's their anchor, City's anchor in the back, who's been coming on, you know, has been injured for months, finally comes back in the last couple of games and he has to limp off with a knee injury. And then you're thinking, oh my gosh, you know, how are they going to hold together? And then Is- Isco scores for uh, Real Madrid in the 60th minute. You basically think, at that point, Real Madrid can kind of coast. Pack know, just, it up. Yeah, they just exactly. pack it in and coast in the end. And then, um, you know, Kevin De Bruyne. Because Unbelievable. Kevin De Bruyne. That, 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 that the guy. The best player in the league. The best, I mean, excuse me. I, the best player in the world, frankly, in my book. He took over the game. Right. He took over the game. He, his assist on Jesus' goal 
where he was bottled up over on the side of the 18 yard box and, and just whip, turns and blindly whips across to the far post to Jesus's head. And he gets the equalizing goal. And then, uh, and then Sterling comes on, he takes on the defense. It's a clear penalty. And finally, finally, Pep decides to let De Bruyne take a penalty because shouldn't the guy who's the best passer in the world pass it into the net and he scores in the penalty and it was just incredible. What I'm so impressed about with De Bruyne is just how he not only finds the seams pass-wise, but how he gathers the ball. Basically his first touch is is just perfection. He gathers it so smoothly. He buys himself, you know, space and time. And then, and then not only coming out of something like that, then, just hits a ball somewhere where you're like, whoa, didn't even see that. It, remi- you know, it, it reminds me of a Gretzky sort of. Um, yeah, and, and he's just the model of efficiency as a player because he's not, he doesn't, fr- I mean, he chases and he works hard and he does all that, but he's not, nothing's ever rushed and nothing's ever frantic. And he just sees the seams better than anybody and, and he'll pass to a spot and he'll be like, where's that going to? And all of a sudden the player appears. You know, he's just like like Gretzky, Flinny. He's one step ahead. He's just he sees the action a little bit ahead of everybody else. But then, you know, to add insult to injury in the 85th minute, um, Jesus has kind of a breakaway, and Ramos takes him down. And it was, it was that was a little soft, I thought, for Ramos. Ramos usually yeah, well, but he gra- he he did grab his shoulder, and he and he definitely altered his path to the goal. Right. But I, I thought this was amazing. So that was that was Ramos's twenty sixth career red card, and his fourth in Champions League, which is just I mean, I think I was sent off. Maybe I've been sent off twice in my entire career, and, and not neither of those am I proud of. But twenty six times for a professional player is an extraordinary number of red cards. He's been around for a long time, and he's, he's be butted a lot of heads in his day. So, what, one other game that we got is Leon and, and Juve, one uh, nil. Leon, uh, who watched that game? I didn't see. Yeah, that I, I checked out most of that one. Um, I thought Juventus were really poor. Um, they didn't manage a shot on goal for the whole ninety minutes. Um, I thought they were a little unlucky not to get a penalty. There were two. Yeah, calls for a penalty. I thought, you know, they were both borderline. I thought together they probably equaled one penalty. Um, but <laughs> that could be the new VAR, Sam. Yeah, <laughs> two but, close calls equal a penalty. But it's like think, indoor accumulation. <laughs> regardless, they you know they they didn't play very well. Um, yeah. And you know after the game, Sari admitted in the press conference that he was struggling to transmit you know his ideas to the team, which is never something you want to wow. hear. Wow. Yeah. Um, or that uh, no one usually admits to, right? Yeah. Uh, so he's been pretty blunt and open about it. I mean, I think Juve's problem is that their midfield is just kind of non-existent right now, and they yeah. just don't seem to be moving the ball like with any purpose and any pace. Um, their defense is good. Obviously, they have Ronaldo up front. Um, I, I still, I still think they'll go through. I mean, you know, this is a loss, sure, but you know, I think in Champions League, you know, individual games know. don't matter as much. I mean, you're playing, you're playing essentially a 180-minute game. Are you a fan of Iguain, Sam? Because I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not sold on him. I feel like that that ship sailed many years ago. Well, you know why you don't feel good about that one? Because no, he, I, I, I just no, I just don't. Yeah, think it, all roads lead to Chelsea. I think when he's no, no, on, no, no, he's, no. he's one of the best finishers out there. But um, you know, he does have a tendency to kind of disappear and drift in and out of games. Yeah. Um, I prefer DiBala. Um, 
but yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's a, it's a tough task, but I, I think ultimately they'll be able to turn it around. But I don't think Juve should be considered, you know, a favorite for the Champions League overall based on the way right. they've been playing lately. Never count a Ronaldo and, team out, that's for sure. Well, and by the way, who knows? I mean, you know, as we saw last year with the whole Barca-Liverpool uh, leg, return leg, I mean, mm-hmm. even though City appears to be in the driver's seat going back to the uh, Etihad, uh, you know, Real Madrid come out could come out and steal it from them. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, I think in many ways, too, this was a kind of a classic Juve away Champions League performance. I think all that was missing was them being awarded a penalty. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think maybe in recent times that would have been the case and then it would have been one one and they would have been looking fine so yeah uh you know I, I don't think it's reason for for huge um you know worry it is great though guys isn't it like champions league just has an electricity to it i mean there's there's yeah, something really about when you tune it in you can just feel the magnitude of the game and at the start of that real madrid city match especially it was just electric and it was just you know like feeling each other out it was like a heavyweight title fight where they're just like poking and prodding and you know like the first 20 minutes not a lot happens because they're all feeling each other out but just mm. it's fascinating viewing well, did you see because I, I didn't see this one did you feel like yeah. there was extra vitriol for man city coming off the uh the uefa decision or no i i, I really didn't uh, to be honest okay. with you i and, think and, it's going to give them impetus to one no 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 i do no i think under uh, no doubt sam Cup. under the surface that pep is using that as a motivator but they didn't mm. You know, they play a they play a up tempo yet composed game. So mm-hmm. nobody was running around there like maniacs mm-hmm. trying to do it. And he changed the whole formation. I mean, that was the thing Pep did. He had De Bruyne was playing up with Jesus. I mean, it was a, it was a very different look for them initially, mm-hmm. and then they kind of went back to a more traditional formation. But I mean, he always keeps you on your toes because Pep will never do what you think he's going to do. Yeah. So. So, uh, guys, MLS season starts off. Uh, but, but by the way, you know, you said the Champions League. There's a sexiness to it. It's it's yeah. like it's kind of like a James Bond movie. You know, there's yeah. there's an international intrigue that always happens and rivalries and stuff. So, um, so I love it. It's it's uh, I enjoy it even more than the Premier League, especially when you get to the later rounds. So yeah. um, their studio coverage were not big on Flinny. I was again kind of yeah. zoning in on their their uh, fashion sense. And I think the three of us need to go to the very tight, tight-fitting white jeans, peds, and sneakers. Short jeans. They've got to be short to have the look of the Turner. Uh, they're trying to outdo you. Got, you got to learn from our own show and just watch it all in Spanish. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I do my show in my underwear, so this is, <laughs> yeah. this, is, this is great. All right, so MLS season's opening. Uh, Hans Zimmer penned a song. They probably spent a ton of money on it. I uh, Probably. Got that drum beat, you know, that um, is so prevalent in, in stadiums, but that's about it. So uh, we won't even spend any time talking I about it. I did not rush out and buy, buy Hans Zimmer's greatest hits following right. the listen of that. Yeah, I don't, I think they might have overpaid for that cymbal and drum cacophony. Cacophony, great word, by the way. <laughs> um, but everybody seems pretty bullish uh, on the league and, and where it's headed. And I mean, look, the growth has not been as fast or uh, as full as we have wanted, but there is growth. We could talk to Mike Wartola about that uh, in a little bit. But, um, you know, Beckham came out and, and said he thinks in maybe 10 years it'll challenge the European leagues. So you guys concur? I don't You know, I, I would just like them to get consistently better and, and, and just do well and make money and all that. I, I just I put, think putting out markers like that just uh, set expectations, frankly. And I think – 
MLS has already exceeded expectations, and I think slow, steady growth. You know, I think making statements like it's going to be bigger, bigger than MLB or bigger than NHL. You know, just not. Just be good. Just be consistent. Well, isn't is a little bit like Wall Street? You just try to say bullish things so that, that yeah. the market is not spooked. So um, yeah, I just think Don Garber's done a great job of consistently growing the league and you know expanding and 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 it seems to be financially viable and all that so that i would just say keep doing what you're doing yeah i think you know the thing about the nhl and mlb too is i mean these are leagues watched by people all over the world you know i mean if mls wants to get bigger than them in the country is one thing but you know i I don't know i agree i think it's good to show confidence but you don't want to you don't want to set markers down the road that you you know, might not reach. doesn't. Yeah, but we're still here. And uh, so that's encouraging because I think it's so important to the development of the U.S. men's national team as well to have a viable league that's competitive. So, uh, so good stuff. So um, I I think uh, I don't want to, we'll get to Mike in a second, but I would be remiss if I did not mention Liverpool and a big win against West Ham with the 22 points in the clear. A lot of records there, Grail. Yeah. So they're, they're at 18, straight league wins uh and they can break the record they've got one more win to break the record so um and then they're vying to break the points record um i think the total the total wins record in a season yeah i mean they could topple a lot of records and you know again they were down 2-1 to west ham but there's there's just this feeling of inevitability when you see liverpool playing out just like they're not phased being down Two one or whatever. Right, right. There, there was a calmness to them. There really oh, was. It's, God, it's and it, it's just you know, thank God I don't I don't dislike Liverpool because if I did, if I was like a United supporter or something, it would just be maddening to watch. Well, them well here's the difference winning. though, Sam. Yeah. Here's the difference though, um, Grail, because you know, as soccer fans, when someone plays like that, it is wonderful to watch, whether you're a yeah. supporter or not. Sure, I think that's exactly. Just, in so many ways, come down to uh, you know, as a secondary concern is your team because. You know, I, I was uh, I was loving the way Man City was playing. A few years I still back love and, the way know, they play. Yeah, yeah. And, and Arsenal way back. So I, I mean, yeah. you know, you, you love good soccer. So. I think yes. that's true. I think that's a very American perspective. I have to say. Oh, absolutely, I, absolutely. I, I think you're right, but I think for someone who actually you know grew up in Manchester and liked yeah. Manchester United, they are not impressed. Yeah, even the uh, the brothers from Oasis don't even get along, and they both grew up no, in Manchester. No, so. no, Nolan Liam are <laughs> Nolan not Liam. happy right now. No, crazy the crazy Gallagher's. Yeah, um, exactly. well, you gotta love the Irish. Is this a private <laughs> fight, or can anyone get in it? All right, let's take a break here. You're listening to Over the Ball. Coming up, senior editor of Soccer America, Mike Boitolo. We'll be back after this. All right, joining us now on Over the Ball from Soccer America. He's a senior editor over there and a regular contestant here on Over the Ball Jeopardy, Mr. Mike Boitola. Mike, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great. Glad to be here. Here, you got a birthday coming up, brother. Uh, another year. That's right. I get at the big birthday tomorrow, right? Uh, day 30? Yeah, 25th uh, season of MLS kicks off. And you're only 30 years old, so no, five, just... <laughs> five years old when that league started. So <laughs> I remember, watching uh, it all along. I hey, remember, you know. Uh, What's that, Mike? 
Oh, I remember my parents taking me to that first game in a stroller and you know. Really? That was <laughs> but you, you No, no, no. So Mike, actually let me ask you that. What is your memory of your first game that you went to? Cuz your father was German, right? So did you oh, way back then? Yeah, no. I um I moved from Germany uh, when I was 3 and uh, it was a Dallas Tornado in NASL. Uh, wow. Oh, Kyle Rowe Jr., right? Well, yeah, Kyle came a little bit later, but the first yeah. game was a friendly game with Hertha Berlin against uh, the Tornado, and my parents are from Berlin, so that was, you know. Ah, that's good, being, yeah. Imagine being a Berliner in Texas and finding out your team's going to play a soccer <laughs> game there. <in> <laughs> you wouldn't believe it. Um, maybe the early 70s. Um, and then we moved to Hawaii in um, 1974, and we got Team Hawaii there. You know, I was really bummed that we were leaving the Dallas Tornado. Then we had a team, an NASL team there for a, for a year. And then, of course, the NASL folded in 1984, which... Uh, yeah, right when I graduated from college. You know, yeah. it was a good time. Uh, so fast forward to 1996, and I'm living in the Bay Area. And the first game of MLS is the famous San Jose DC United game. Um, you know, Eric Winaldo nutmegging Jeff Agus and scoring the first goal in MLS history. And you know, I was yeah, 25 yeah. years ago. So wow. know, pretty amazing. Uh, the, what the NASL lasted 17 seasons, you know, the league that had Pele and Beckenbauer and really got things going here, but you know, yeah. just couldn't make it, it was too early. Yeah. Um, and now you've got MLS looking solid and looking pretty exciting going into the 25th season. Yeah, and the MLS, the MLS model, Mike, seems to just be much a much more sustainable one than the NASL model. Yeah, I mean, NASL had a couple of challenges. One is you didn't, you know, have the base of fans. There's just so many yeah. soccer fans, but also, you know, it was a total free market thing, and it became a situation where teams that really didn't know, you know, that didn't have the savvy of the Cosmo owners who really know what they're more or less knew what they were doing when they were bringing in spending a lot of money on guys like Pele. Yeah, but obviously, that too. there was a payback for that, and then you had other owners that, you know, wanted to kind of have the um, glamour of the Cosmos and just spending crazy money, and then they expanded too quick, and you know all those kind of problems. Yeah. Um, and then with MLS, you have the famous extreme frugality in the beginning, and um, you know single entity and salary caps, and and some of it may have been frustrating, but it's why the league's still here. Is uh, you know they were really smart about their economics, and then of course the other ingredient, which which can't be uh, overstated is the the stadiums is the soccer specific stadium sure. owners which, having control of their stadiums which is amazing because the league has been around so long now that even the soccer specific stadiums some of them have been outdated like oh yeah like you know in columbus it's yeah. like, we we looked at that like it was our mecca for a while and now it's just out old and outdated and trying yeah. to do new things which i guess is part of the package um, well, it's the, you know, the, the San Jose game I was referring to was at San Jose State in the football stadium, um, which was a kind of a narrow field. It wasn't a bad stadium. It was, a, the size was about right. But now you've got a Via Stadium, which apparently isn't a Via anymore. It's a, uh, whatever they call it, San Jose Stadium. You know, absolutely fantastic. I mean, it, it's, yeah, beautiful. it's not a bad seat in the house. You're close. And then, you know, you were talking about why, why I'm, you know, MLS has gone so far is the atmosphere in a lot of the cities is tremendous i mean i don't know how many have you seen you tune even on television if you tune in for the galaxy lafc game that is that's like watching boca river you know fantastic mm, yeah. atmosphere and good quality soccer this yeah. is good i mean look you know all of us here except for maybe sam because <laughs> he's young 
but just the progression that we've watched. And as depressed as we've been at different times about different things, uh, there is a constant growth. The, the arc is moving towards uh, getting bigger and bigger, which you know, leads us to um, some of the owners are really quite bullish on the success. Uh, some of the owners stating that it's going to be bigger than NHL and, and uh, Major League Baseball in 25 years. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I don't know. I, I've, I've always thought that, um, first of all, we don't have, you know, soccer doesn't have to be bigger than other yeah, Right, yeah. right. Our, our country is so giant that we can be the fifth most popular league in, in the United States and we'd be like the number one league anywhere else uh, just because right. of sheer numbers. Um, I've always thought that they, that soccer could catch up with hockey. You know, hockey tends to have a regional following mm-hmm. more. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not that concerned about competing with other sports. I exactly. don't have a problem with other sports. Uh, we've got enough of a soccer fan base. I do, I do think that the baseball analogy is sort of, or the, the baseball issue is kind of interesting because I've always thought that if uh, it was the other way around and soccer had been here for 100 years and someone was recently introducing baseball, it would have had a much, much harder time of Absolutely. success. Um, and that, you know, you, you have the issue with baseball where unless you're really into it, um, and, I, and I like baseball, it's a fine sport, yeah. um, you know, it takes a while. You know, you sit somewhere for three hours and, you know, the pace is slower, which can be nice and relaxing, but in the era we live in, um, that's kind of a challenge now. And soccer's got something really wonderful, which is the games are 90 minutes with a 15 minute halftime. Yeah. I mean, no commercial uh, interruptions, which is something that, you know, American television didn't know at the time really was, it, it would only happen maybe in a, a public television uh, back yeah. in the 90s when they started uh, getting rid of commercials on American telecasts for the world cup. Uh, so people like that. People like being able to go to a game, knowing when it's going to end, uh, not having like it go on endlessly. And then more importantly, being entertained. And if you look at some of the players that you have in, in MLS now, uh, you know, inner players you want to watch, tune in to watch. Right. Well, we got Beckham. Uh, Beckham actually said, do you think, he said, I do think in the next 10 years it will challenge the European leagues. He said, it's, it's what we all hope for and strive to commit. This should never be a league where players from Europe come to retire, which I thought was an we, interesting. We agree with that. <laughs> which we've um, seen that before, David. It's right out of your playbook. Yeah, I think, um, you know, remember a couple of years ago, everybody was talking about China and, and, and we're losing players. And, yeah. Well, yeah. we were, right? But they. Oh, yeah, yeah. No. Um, the But I do think that the steady growth and it bodes well. Um, and I could see, I could see the. MLS in, in the future being a league that, you know, is going to be up there with the biggest leagues in the world. I don't see why, why it wouldn't be considering the, um, the progress. If you look at the progress it's, it's made over the, you know. Yeah. The- and the changes that have happened within this, the television market, you know, I remember growing up watching Syria, you know, on Rai television, and that's kind of gone away a little bit. Now the premier league sort of is the, is the, the big gorilla in the room. So who knows the changes that'll happen. Well, soccer's always had that big advantage in the United States that we have such a diverse uh, you know, population where you've got people from soccer cultures around the world. Yeah, yeah. And now we've got the, the, the big ingredient is, uh, you know, e- e- young Americans who embrace the game, partly, I think, because it's a, a global game. You know, it's, it's, it's fascinating to go to a stadium and see players from different countries with different styles of play. And, and right. 
They know more. I remember going to a Peru, the Peruvian national team was playing against the United States. I'm like, well, there's going to be no Peruvian fans here. It was in Hartford, <laughs> Connecticut. And the place was packed with, yeah. Peru, with Peruvians. I'm like, this is awesome. They, you know, who knew? Who knew? Grail, you got a question? Yeah. Yeah. So, Mike, one of the things that, that you had mentioned was the reason that the, NA, that, uh, the NASL didn't make it was overexpansion. And also, you know, certain teams had a lot more money than others. Do you, are you, do you have any concern uh, within the next two years? I think it is, we'll be up to 30 teams, right, in MLS. Um, any concern of the sustainability of 30 teams is thir- is is more better? Yeah, or I mean, are we going to find out that may 30 might be a little bit aggressive and actually like you know 28 is a better number or whatever? I don't think that's I don't think that 30 is a problem. I can't think okay. I don't know off the top of my head. You guys might know how many NFL or NBA teams and major league baseball teams are, but 30 sounds to be like a normal number for a country our size. What's the, the, the concern um, right now, I think, is that if you look at the popularity, the attendances of the MLS teams, the, the, the areas of weakness are the actual, are the teams that um, have been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. You get, you've got the new teams tend to come in and do absolutely fantastic, where you've got teams like Colorado and Chicago, um, you know, Dallas is doing a little better, but uh, as far as attendance. Cincinnati. You know, yeah. since, so you, you, it, it, that's, I think, the what they're focusing on now is, um, you know, is making sure that that there aren't teams that are you know struggling at the at the gate and things like that. But um, the the record of the recent new teams is, I mean, look at Atlanta, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah that is just amazing. Yeah. yeah so. Um- Oh, sorry, Mike. I, I just, I'm wondering, looking back, you know, we're talking about these predictions for the next 25 years and everyone being really bullish. Can you, do you remember what the talk was like at the dawn of MLS? I mean, were people saying in 10 years, we're going to be on the level of Europe then, or what was the general mm-hmm. outlook at that point? I think when it first started, it was just like, wow, we've got pro soccer. Let's hold on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and the first uh, year was amazing. You know, you, Sunil Gulati, who was the deputy commissioner at the time, um, and a big part of uh, collect, getting players for the league, did something brilliant, which was, you know, they, we, MLS brought in the biggest star from Bolivia, Mexico, uh, Colombia, El Salvador, uh, you know, you had Jorge Campos here. All of a sudden, there's a giant crowd at the Rose Bowl, um, and then you had a, and then you had a, you know some major growing pains in, in around 2000. Philip Anschutz saved the league, so you kind of went from excitement to whoa. You know, we've got ten teams and, and eight teams, and, and um, so at that point, people were you, you're kind of worried. Hopefully, you can pull this off, and then of course uh, things got better and and and. You had found new owners. The stadium started being built, and and, and the growth just came steady. So, um, yeah, I don't know. You know, at the time, we were just happy that that, that the league was here and and, and trying to see yeah. how it was going to unfold. And uh, yeah, and it was the logical outgrowth of the '94 World Cup, right? I mean, that was the next step, really, coming out of the success of that, Mike. Right? Yeah, was it was supposed to actually launch in '95. Yeah, right yeah. after, and then they mm-hmm. delayed it for a year, which made sense. Um, and, and, you know, guys like Phil, you know, Lamar Hunt, I think, is a name that needs to be mentioned. Absolutely. You know, he, yeah. He was part of the NASL days. Um, yeah. And then um, came back in after investing so much money, not making any money on NASL, and uh, came in with uh, the Dallas and Kansas Columbus 
Um, and, and, and Mike, you know, people forget that and I, Lamar Hunt didn't forget that he was part of NFL when it was first starting and, and the humble mm-hmm. beginnings of NFL. And, yeah, yeah he know, came up with a word, with, with, with a name for the Super Bowl when he saw his kid playing with a Super Bowl. He was the owner of the uh, you know, Kansas City Chiefs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, a lot of individuals that believe in the sport. Um, so, and, you know, this also parallels, I think, a lot of times when you're talking about the women's league. Uh, this is the third incarnation of their league. But MLS, it took a long time. And a lot of work and you know people who are passionate about the game like you and i were very scared about mls just going away and i felt like if it went away this time it wasn't going to come back yeah and that's why i think um the the how frugal the the approach was, was right mm-hmm. i mean uh, the, it was also there are some some fortunate things that were going on you didn't have the hyperinflation of uh transfer fees when the league was starting Mm-hmm. Um, so you were able to get players like Marco Echeverri and, and Carlos Valderrama um, at prices that you couldn't even imagine nowadays. Um, and, you know, we had the national team play a lot of good national team players like Tab Ramos, and John Harts, Tony Miola um, that were coming back from Europe. And, and, you know, you mentioned the women's league, that one of the advantages that the men have, um, you know, all the challenges at soccer men's soccer has a women's soccer has as well but more and you know one of those is that the entertainment options not just sports for americans is just so vast right that to bring in a sport and say hey here's something else to put on your calendar is a challenge right the advantage that the men's game had is the immigrant community that was passionate about the sport um you know that you can tap into and, and fill the stadiums and, and and especially you know the, the percentage of um fans who come to mls games who uh, have heritage in other countries is, is, is significant, you know, especially in the beginning. But here's here's the thing, Mike, though, and this is, you know, I don't know if it's PC or whatever, but if you're talking about cultures that uh, are passionate about soccer, that live here, immigrant communities in this country uh, that support MLS and go to MLS, uh, many with machismo sort of feelings, uh, it's a bit sexist. They, they will not come out uh, to support the women's league. And and that's a big differentiator. I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I in some ways I think women's soccer and men's soccer are different sports. Um, yeah, and it's a, a different challenge to 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 get fans to go to the games. And you know, you don't. There's no there's no female equivalent of a chicharito. You right. Know, who are people who may not even been uh, fans of MLS are going to go and see chicharito. And then hopefully what they see on the from the rest of the players makes them want to come back. Because, you know, that's another point I think that was always very important about MLS. Even when it launched in 1996, mm-hmm. it wasn't like the NASL where they had to turn Americans into soccer fans. Right. Already right, in the right. 90s. Yeah. The, the, the United States already had enough soccer fans in the 90s to support a league. The challenge was getting them to watch and come to MLS games instead of following the Mexican league or the, the European right. league, you know, no other country has as much soccer on television as the United States does. Right. Follow everything is what we're trying to encourage everybody well, yeah, to do. I mean, right? You talk to someone from England or Germany, they, they envy us. We don't, they don't get to see every single game, you know? Right. Um, so MLS has always had to compete with soccer in the entire world um, while trying to get people to, 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 you know, be fans of its game. Right. Grail? Yeah, yeah, and one of the byproducts, Mike, of that frugality that you talked about is that it's just taken longer to get players up to a what would be a competitive wage. And it seems like with this this uh, proposed new uh, collective bargaining agreement, 
they're going to get closer, but it's almost going to take maybe even another cycle to get the players really into a position where they're a lot more competitive than some of their fellow players in other leagues. Yeah. Um, I think that, that that's it, it. The money figures are going to be always a challenge, but I do think that when it comes to the more, not like the super duper star um, mm-hmm. salary, but the, the, the very international level, very good player. Mm-hmm. Um, I think MLS can get closer to competing. I mean, you do have, you know, ridiculously inflated uh, salaries in, 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 in other countries, but uh, as far as we're talking about a lot of positives, the MLS still has a major, major challenge, and that's the, is that the television money doesn't even come close to what the other leagues have. So, yeah, it's, you need that. That that's just such a giant chunk of money. That's why the NBA pays its players so much. Mm-hmm. Um, why the EPL players uh, make so much money? Yeah. It's television. The, 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 I, I'm not. You know, I don't know how the money, the figures in front of me, but if you compare the income from gate from ticket sales to television deals that the English premier league did the, 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 yeah. the gate probably a sliver of what they get, not only for right. the rights fees, but from fees all over the world. Sure. Other countries, you know, Germany was kind of, uh, the Bundesliga, arguably one of the, you know, best leagues in the world and, and highest attendance for sure. The highest attendance, high scoring, um, doesn't have the foreign television deals that the English premier league has. Yeah. Uh, which they've been trying to work on. Same with La Liga, right? Yeah. I mean, they're splitting up all that, Mike, along with things like streaming rights because it gets it keeps getting sliced and diced even further. And there's a deal. There are separate deals being done across different platforms, and all the teams are getting a piece of all of that, right, in the yeah, big so, leagues. So it adds up to a ton of money. So I think that would yeah. be like the main difference between MLS getting to a point where – um, you know, they can get every, you know, a team. I mean, look at Manchester City. I mean, that's, yeah. and that's a, that payroll. Of course, they're, they're, they're rightly being <laughs> punished for, for cheating on a, in the fair play, financial fair play. But, uh, you know, that, that payroll on Manchester City is probably bigger than the entire. It country. all goes yeah. back to Russia. Everything leads back to <laughs> Russia. These days, all roads no. lead to Putin. Hey, so Mike, the uh, LAFC is the strong favorites for MLS Cup 2020. Uh, followed by Atlanta, then Toronto, then NYCFC. Uh, who's your favorite? Well, it's Seattle, right? It's, um, um, it's hard to say, especially with the playoffs, right? Um, yeah. Anything can happen. But, I mean, my favorite is, is, is LAFC because I just think uh, among some of the very entertaining teams, LAFC is on top of that. Um, yeah. yeah. And they have a little bit of bitter feeling, I would imagine, about last year. They didn't close the deal. so um, Yeah, you, you, they've um, – you know, the, but they're a team where you turn on the TV and you, you're pretty much guaranteed to be to be entertained. And, and mm-hmm. so, you know, if you look at the player, because when we talk about, uh, I think MLS is the most important thing to American soccer that there is. That this is what's going to drive the national team, mm-hmm. at least. Right. Um, and one of the issues there is that it's a it, it's become a very Latin type of soccer in MLS. Um, you know, you've got more more Latino coaches uh, than ever, not just uh, you know imported coaches, but also guys like Tab Ramos and Giovanni Savarese. Um, and uh, you look at the some of the top players. You got Carlos Vela, Joseph Martinez, Nicolas Ladera, Maxi Morales, uh, Jonathan Dos Santos. You know, Chicharito. You know, 
Chicharito's coming in. These are players that have a, a style. They play with flair. Uh, they, you know, it's a successful type of soccer. It's the type of soccer that I think, uh, you know, the United States should have embraced um, a long, long time. time. Yeah, well, you, you and Paul Gardner have been big proponents for this for a long time. And um, not only do these players bring a flair, but they also put asses in the seats. I mean, let's be honest. So, I mean, both you, you can't lose in, in either direction. You know, you mentioned uh, something that, that struck me. Um, one of your Soccer America graphs there talking about, uh, well, Carlos Vela is, uh, you know, the leads to the golden boot, they believe this year is the, the top, then Martinez, then Hernandez. Um, what I thought was interesting, and one of the graphs he had in Soccer America was there were American players that were golden boot winners there for a long time. Now there's been a big gap in years where we haven't had one since, I, I don't know if it was maybe Wanda was the last one. I think it may have been Wondolowski, right? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, no, and um, I mean, that's not uncommon, right? I mean, if you look mm-hmm. at England. I mean, Premier League, yeah, right, exactly. I mean, I think Manchester United, Manchester City had one English player on the field in their last Champions League game. And if you look at leading scorer lists uh, around the world, you'll find, uh, you know, because those are the, the players that people will, will, will invest in. Although I right. do think that brings us to a very important point, which is um, – you know, American players getting a chance in MLS. Yeah. And, and, and we do see that. Um, and some teams, I think, are trying really hard. But that's, you know, that's something that's going to be crucial because, um, you know, it, it's it, – we need, you know, we want to be a world power in soccer and we need young players to get to get good experience. And play. Right. And I, I think those middle-class sort of players is what we need to strengthen that because the cream will always rise from that group. Uh, but you need to have that good, solid middle class of player. Um, and I think, you know, part of the salary restructures and things will probably help uh, enable that. The other thing is some of our top players, um, we could talk about the national team in a little bit as well, but some of the top ones are, are going overseas um, and then getting injured, <laughs> unfortunately, uh, a, a ton of them. But, you know, I, I want to go back to Soccer America, something I read uh, there as well, comments by Bob Bradley, which I thought was interesting about, you know, he talked about the league and the solvency and the growth of it and everything. And he said, eventually, he believes, uh, he goes, whether you like it or not, it's going to be a promotion relegation. Were you surprised by that comment? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> We're back there. Uh, no. There's like a black hole. Nobody wants to go down. <laughs> I think I think, uh, I think, think what you might, what you have is you can have a promotion relegation up to, um, you know, the second tier uh, below MLS. And then... Yeah. And then you kind of have what has been going on where you've had teams that came out of the USL and NASL, yeah. the NASL that came to meet, meet meeting the, the marketing, I mean, not, mark, not the marketing, but the, you know, the, the financial requirements of, of being an MLS. And I, look, I, I grew up with watching leagues that have promotion relegations, but yeah. if you look around the world, that the, the, if they had their choice, they wouldn't have it anymore because, um, you know, it, it's a system that's. Um, I mean, I, I, it's hard for me to see MLS owners agreeing to being relegated. Sure, it's anti-American. They think. Well, well also, well, if you're a new, if you're a new team, if you're investing in a t- new team, you're investing all that money. The last thing you're going to want is for that team to be relegated. Right. It's just not going to that. That's not an enticement to wanting to invest in a new team. No. And, and that's why if you look around yeah. the world, they keep tweaking their, releg- their, their promotion relegations to make it harder to, to be relegated. But they also have the tradition that, you know, that that we don't have. Um, 
but I, you know, I, I go to minor league games uh, like the Oakland Roots and NASA. I watch a lot of the USL championship games on TV, you know, on, on streaming. And the level's good, and the atmosphere in some of these places is tremendous. I mean, just a really neat sort of um, community feeling. And, and I do think there's a, a place for that, and it needs to be, you know, supported. And, and if it's not a, I don't know, you know, if it's not a straight, really uh promotion relegation all the way to mls then then maybe we can come up with something that um you know still makes it work and you know um because it is a big part of soccer and it's a fun mm-hmm. part of soccer in the united states an important part too yeah mike looking See? ahead to this year i know you're a big fan of todd ramos have followed his coaching career really closely what do you make of his shot with the uh the dynamo well he's got a he's in a tough situation because they, they don't invest in players um they didn't uh, change, you know, they, they could basically are the same team as, as, as last year. Um, so it's, it's going to be a challenge for him. I know he really wants to bring in young American players. He, he inherited a team that was mostly, you know, foreign players. And he obviously cares about American players and American soccer. Right. Um, so it'll be tough because it's not like it, it, they had the lowest payroll basically the last year, the lowest payroll of the entire league. And I, and I can't imagine it's changed much because they haven't bought anybody. So um, it'll be challenging. He does says that, you know, talented players and he's, I think he's a good coach. So it'll be, it'll be really interesting to watch. And I don't know, you know, the specifics of if the owners are ever going to open their, um, you know, spend a little more on players, but that that's, that'll be, you know, interesting to see. Let's uh, let's talk about uh, Tab's old teammate, Claudio Arena, and his son, Gio. Uh, he's gotten on the map pretty quickly. He's playing in Champions League. I, I think um, – does he have a shot at getting on that national team for this this round? Yeah, Bearhalter just said he was going to bring him in. Um, you know, I it's uh, – How could you not, it, right? Yeah. It, it's amazing what, what, what he's been doing, um, you know, to, to – get into the first team that quickly you know he's still coming off the bench but it's very impressive and also what's interesting too is how the praise that he's getting from the people at uh, at Dortmund you know who yeah aren't the kind of guy that usually going to be understated about talking mm-hmm. about a young player um so that's you know that's a exciting situation and I do think that you want to give young players a chance um, when they're young, it, it invigorates a team. Um, you know, he, you have to balance the club commitments and all that. Yeah, you know, right. You don't want to overburden them, but certainly he's going to get a look. Those games are going to be in Europe in March. So yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. Also, but, they, but, Germany does such a great job, though it seems with you know with our players. Uh, it seems to be a good place for them to land. I don't know whatever they're doing over there. It's, it seems like you can develop. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's it's not like every. American that goes over there makes it. It's, it's just right. a couple of them, but um, yeah, you don't hear about them. But one of the reasons is that the the German teams pride themselves on bringing through bringing young players through, um, and they'll they, they they they'll try. And Dortmund's a place where they'll take care of you. I mean, Pulisic. I don't know if he would have done as well somewhere else. I think yeah. that they really believed in them it wasn't like they signed obviously all these teams sign a lot of players but um i think their clubs around the world that one don't even care about that right they just care about you know they have the they have the money it's, these german clubs gen- generally don't have the kind of deep pockets that uh the you know the oligarch owned epl teams do so they're more interested in bringing their own players and these americans you know Giorena was free 
Pulisic yeah. was three. And what did Pulisic bring to Dortmund? I think it was $70 million. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so can you imagine that? Can you imagine being a Bundesliga club and saying, wait, they brought this American over. They didn't have to pay a penny for him. And they made $70 million on him. So, yeah. yeah it's like the Brazilian players being, being t- uh, taken as well. Hey, um, you had a great article again in Soccer America. Um, I don't know where you find the time to write all this stuff. I really don't. But start practice with real soccer. U.S. soccer rolls out its grassroots learning through play courses and, uh, and also in Spanish. Um, it, it, reading it, Mike, it makes such logical sense about letting kids play in the beginning of practice because – it forces kids to like be eager to get there early to start knocking it around where instead of like used to say, why is it the cherry on top to let teams scrimmage at the end of practice, you know? So, so talk a little bit about that and about the, the implementation of putting out the curriculum in Spanish as well. Yes. So the, the Federation, which frequently tweaks its uh, coaching licenses and stuff, they, their latest one came in 2018 at the the youth level licenses for the very young kids. And they, Mm -hmm. their, their approach there is something that I've advocated for a long, long time. It's, uh, it's called, you know, play practice play. And the way it works is, and and I've done this and I always recommended it, not, you know, that, so you're a practice, you're a coach, you get there first and uh, a kid shows up, you already set two goals up. You play one-on-one with the kid, right? Another kid shows up, then it's two-on-one with the coach and the, you know, a couple more kids, then you step back because now it's two-on-two. And as they come, you just add players. This is at an age where they don't need to, you know, warm up. They, right, 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 right. Yeah. They um, don't know what they don't know what a pulled muscle is. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> they don't have any muscles yet. So it's, <laughs> so they're playing and they're playing a real game. Is that what they signed up for? It used to drive me so crazy when I would go around soccer fields and you see these kids running to soccer practice. They run, you know, they've been at school all day just sitting there listening to an adult talk, you know, teach them stuff, and they don't get to play. Right. Yeah. They got to do drills and this and that and. Um, and I always thought that that was just, you know, awful that that they denied the kids of what they really wanted to do. Uh, not to mention that, you know, you learn by playing. I, I, there's exactly. so, so many, and then you don't have to wait for the other kids. To, usually, what happens at a youth soccer practice is you got to wait till everybody ties their shoes. You know, blah yeah, blah. Yeah, yeah. Now you don't. You these kids play. The other kids who are tying their shoes, and we probably all coach kids who take forever to get their stuff on. Um, they're yeah. seeing kids play, so they're gonna get. You know, ready they're they're going to pressure their parents to get there on time and be yeah. prepared because they don't want to miss uh, the 10 minutes of scrimmaging in the beginning. So, Grail? Yeah, and yeah. then if you do something, and I'm not – for the young ages, I don't think you need to do anything really complicated, but let's say you want to do something a little more structured. If you introduce that after they've played for 15, 20 minutes or whatever – They get the yayas out. Some energy, it's going to be easier to get them to do something, you know, that requires a little more thought or a little more, um, you know, precision. Right. Uh, so there's just so many reasons. And then the other reason I think it's super duper important is that I don't think that players get good because they get coached well. I mean, obviously right. coaching does help players, but the difference between players who become great players are the ones that play on their own, right? The ones that right. want to play soccer all the time, right. not just when they come to practice. And, the reason kids do that is because they love the game, right? Right. Now, sometimes they love the game because they got an uncle and an older brother and whatever. And a lot of times in the United States, for example, the kid might not have a soccer culture. So your job as a coach is to do something when he's he or she's six or seven that makes him fall in love with the game, which is playing soccer, right? That's exactly that's soccer. So that you, that's to me your job when you're an introductory coach. Do something that gets them to fall in love with it so they will then at recess kick a soccer ball around 
go home and watch soccer on TV. You know, it reminds me of, you know, playing outdoor basketball, just pick up basketball. You just, I played that mostly where you're just running back and forth and playing high school basketball. I'm the point guard. I'm remembering plays you're doing. Oh, yeah. It's like, Oh my God, it's like a math class. Um, and so I don't think that, that love has been instilled in the kids about free play. So hopefully this well, addresses look, it. There's this, I mean, I remember, you know, you go to a lot of these coaching things and they'll tell you, oh, you got to build up. You got to start with this and then you build up to step two and step three and step four. And then you have the, the scrimmage or whatever. And I'm thinking, you really think Leo Messi and his buddies no, yeah. go no. out to the, to the street and one of them would say, hey, let's set up goals and play. And they'd say, no, no, we need to build up to yeah. playing by doing, you know, stage A, <laughs> stage B, stage C. Players learn by playing and right it's it's even worse when they're you know being told how to play so i'm very glad that the federation's taking this approach those 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 grassroots uh, courses i think are solid you know they're all about um you know being player centered you know not giving direct instructions um and 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 making everything in the um and, and this is no this is not rocket science and it shouldn't be but making everything you do in practice um, resemble the game of soccer. Now, when you get older and you've got more practices and more time, then yeah, sure, you want to do some specific, um, you know, more specific work on certain things. But when they're kids, I think they just need to play. Well, yeah, I mean, the best way to improve, Mike, is to be put into situations that are actual situations as opposed to contrived situations and a lot of you know i've over the years i've played with a lot of guys who were perfectly good practice players and you put them in a match and they had no composure they had no vision they you know they did drills well but they had no sense of what actually unfolds in the match so i couldn't agree with you more just let kids play they will improve they will improve by playing with better players around them i would say i would i think it'd be cool to have an experiment where like for a year we tell youth coaches that not to bring cones to practice yeah. <laughs> yeah, they don't they don't have cones in uruguay or you, just know? That, you know it, it, you can you can bring whatever you need to make goals but you know yeah. um the, the the emphasis on these sort of choreographed stuff and um yeah but but the main thing to me is that is that you let the kids play you don't need to be and you know we keep going through these sort of uh swings you know the game's the best teacher and then we get to the like oh no things getting more organized and more yeah. pseudoscientific yeah um when i think that the that we're overdoing it sometimes like oh it's got to be four v four it's got to be five v five it's got to be three v three or whatever you know what okay yeah but is it that bad if one day it's a different number or one day it's right, lopsided? Yeah, right, right. There's probably something to be said for that, for, for yeah. mixing it up. Well, so hopefully this makes a difference, Mike. Um, we got to wrap it up here, but I want to ask you really quickly about the U.S. men's national team. How, how concerned are you about all the injuries that, uh, that they're facing? They seem to be mounting. I mean, Areola just had uh, knee surgery this week. Um, which he's yeah, it's it's uh, it's you know it, it's I, it's it seems unlucky and it, it's it's a bu- it's you know it's it's too bad that some of the younger guys um, like Tyler Adams and and and, and you know, uh, Way were you know just back from injury, yeah. Um, I mean, it's not like we're gonna. Ha- I think we do have depth, um, mm-hmm. and it gives Bearhalter a chance to give younger some of the younger players uh opportunities and um if this happened like right before the world cup then i think it'd be a bigger deal yeah i I mean look we're all worried because of what happened last time so we just failure cannot be um 
an outcome here? It's hard for me to imagine. Uh, you right. have to remember when the U.S. didn't qualify, it was a perfect storm of crazy Right. Process, right? And we don't want that to happen again. So, yeah, all I, right. Mike Wojtola, senior editor at Soccer America. We appreciate you jumping on uh, over the ball, my friend. And you're, you're on a road trip. You're in Texas. So we're glad you... Uh, Glad and happy birthday, Mike. Hey, yeah, Thanks happy birthday, much. Mike. Happy 29th birthday. <laughs> you look great. <laughs> we'll talk to you again. Bye-bye. All right, it was great talking to Mike. I think uh, that all makes sense, guys, right? The grassroots, let kids play first, get their yayas out, and then, um, yes. you know, and then let them play at the end as well. So that's where I say, like, you know, it oh, makes yeah. so much sense because the kids will be going, Mom, I don't want to be late. I'm going to miss the fun part, and then it should all be fun. So, I mean, uh, I grew you know, these kids I played with on the playground at, at the school I went to in England, you know, we're playing in our school uniforms and stuff, and you're seeing – you know, kids at age 15 who were better than players I ever played with over here. And none yeah. of them were coached. They just played. played we just all, day, all played. Right? That's yeah. all we did. But then when you were in Greenwich, you were going to practice in a Rolls Royce and all the kids, <laughs> all the cars would line up. I was, so, I, was being, I was being coached by a math teacher who couldn't have been a nicer guy and knew absolutely nothing about soccer. So that was, that was great. Yeah. So, all right. So, Sam, what do you got for us? Yeah, uh, just a couple other MLS topics to touch on with the season kicking off this weekend. Um, yeah. First of all, Thierry Henry is now the head coach at Montreal Impact, which I uh, didn't realize. Yeah. Only had previous uh, experience with Monaco in France, which didn't go too well. So Allez, la bleu. how this Allez, one bleu. plays out. Yeah. Um, another bit of news that I haven't really gotten to the bottom of is Giuseppe Rossi is uh, right now at least training with Real Salt Lake. He's played in a couple of their preseason games. It's not currently listed on the roster. He's been beat up, right? He's got a bad yeah, wheel. Yeah, bad so he's knee. 33 now. He's dealt with a ton of you know, bad luck and injuries throughout his career. But um, I'm, I'm so it. bummed that kid did not play for the U.S. men's national team. Born yeah. in New Jersey. Well, yeah. Know? Well, I what mean, I was going to say is he was you know, not that long ago a starter on the uh, Italian national team. And yeah. Breakers in Serie A. So, Which know. is so rare. I mean, but sure. he just it's chose his Italian uh, to go back uh, to his parents' heritage. So – it was a bummer because yeah. we needed a goal scorer like him exactly at that time. So, uh, you know, here he's ending his career here. So he's, you know, not staying in Italy, obviously. So, uh, yeah. What uh, could have been? Interesting. Funny, it's interesting because you had a big beef with all the guys that Klinsman was recruiting. And you're like, how come we can't get any of our own guys? And now you want this guy. Well, he was our guy. I mean, he played for the I under know, 20s, well, I the believe. Other, but, the, but, the, but the other guys technically – Fabian Johnson and all those guys were were fine. From I mean, they legally met the standard, uh, right? I mean, obviously they. Oh, absolutely. Play but I I'm remember seeing... you being like, "I'm tired of the Germans that Klinsmann's going over there to get." Oh well, Klinsmann Jones, Fabian Johnson, he got a bunch of decent guys. Oh, Klinsmann went over there with a 21 and Me kit and started <laughs> testing every German for American. <laughs> it got ridiculous after a while. It's just some of the players. Some of the players were just, you know, come on, man. I don't know. So, I mean, and I tell you, look, 23 the, the, in me, isn't it, Sam? Look, so, yeah. Oh, yeah, 20, 21 in me, yeah. So, Talking about people uh, you've been dating lately, Flitty. No, Jace. Um, I have a daughter who's 21. Are you kidding me? I can't do that. But um, I think, you know, you look at, okay, we can go back to 94, 98. The heart and soul of that team was the, the drive the, about representing your country. And you look at yeah. Fabian Johnson. 
he kind of came up short when it was time to really, you know, bear down and, and give it your all. Yeah. He was sort of like, hey, look, man, relax. You know, I'm playing in the Bundesliga. So I, I kind of felt like that. But, he was but also, look, I, I, played in, I played in college and then, you know, in the uh, sort of Laza leagues and things with these Italian kids from New Jersey who had yeah. game. They were yeah. great players. Yeah. Uh, and so this guy was uh, top of the top. So it's just, I don't know, just unfortunate. So yeah. what else? So what else you got, Sam? Sticking domestically, uh, the CONCACAF Champions League, which is something we basically never talk about. And, you know, I feel like nobody does. Um, going on right now, Atlanta, NYCFC, and Montreal, all through to the quarterfinals, nice. uh, where they could potentially be joined by LAFC and Seattle Sounders. So that would be five of the eight teams left. Um, and again, as Grant Wall mentioned last week, it's a tournament competition that an MLS team has not won since 2000. So, uh, you know, perhaps worth keeping an eye on. Um, and then I have a little bit of trivia for you guys. Um, let's see. So Carlos Vela, Joseph Martinez and Javier Hernandez are the top three MVP candidates this year for MLS. Um, Vela being the number, you know, the number one favorite, uh, which would be, back-to-back for him having won last year um Mm -hmm. no player has ever won the mls mvp two years in a row and only one player has ever won it twice in non-consecutive years can you guys so are we going to let our listeners answer that question or we are we well i mean again it's something you can look up pretty easily so we don't we don't have any listeners what do you you guys want to try to throw out an answer uh i'll I'll i'm gonna say i'm gonna say uh landon donovan okay uh, who's the guy who played for DC United? Uh, Jaime Moreno? No, or, actually, or Twelman? Oh, Twelman? No, it's actually Precky in oh, wow. 1997 oh, wow. and 2003. Wow. Gosh, I, I would not have gotten that. Precky, man. That, that left yeah. foot, that cannon of a left foot. Oh, yeah. He just used the right one to stand on. That was, uh, yeah. was it. So, like Beckenbauer, I guess. So, All right, so guys, uh, this weekend, what games are we watching? Uh, Sam, let's go to the Syria. Ah, I, yeah, uh, I mean, well, yeah, what, what, Sam, what state, what, what game will you be watching where no other fans will actually be watching? Well, <laughs> it, I'll be watching Juve Inter for sure. Um, okay. Again, remains to be seen when that game will take place and if there will be any fans in attendance. But um, hopefully there will be. That'll either be Sunday afternoon or perhaps Monday if they push it back. All right. And uh, Grail, what, what Chelsea uh, game will you be watching? No, yeah, you know, I could just predictably say Chelsea, Bournemouth, at Bournemouth, but we always have a tough time with that team. But, yeah, uh, Everton United on Sunday, I think. This should be, be a good, good tilt. Yeah. I could, I'd like to watch that one. Um, yeah. you know, Everton, uh, new coach, and they seem to be trying to turn things around. I also like the Man City-Arsenal game. Speaking of new yeah. coaches, Arsenal seems to be uh, a little hot and cold, but but – but playing differently, they seem to be in a bit of a resurgence. So that should uh, definitely, no, they're definitely playing better under Arteta. No doubt. And and I want to see Liverpool again, just because, you know, watching them, I think I wouldn't say the wheels are coming off, but they're tired Uh, as great as they are. uh, I think they're, you know, when everybody's gunning for you every week, no matter where they are in the table, uh, you beat, you beat Liverpool. It makes your season. So uh, people are going at it pretty hard. So they play Watford on Saturday. Yeah. I could easily see Klopp putting a lineup out there that, uh, you know, rests three or four key guys, right. you know, because he wants – at this point, he's going to – they're going to coast to the title. So he wants to be healthy for Champions League because they've got the return uh, engagement with Atletico at Anfield 
coming up down the road. And, uh, he, you know, he, he just wants to make sure that the team's healthy for Champions League. I think that would be my thinking at this point. Right, right. Long road. So, okay. Is that it, boys? Anything else before yeah. we get going here? No, it's good. good. All right, everybody. Uh, I'd like to thank you for all listening to Over the Ball, all five of you. No, we have more than that. We got we a lot of, a lot of, I got a lot of, uh, a lot Come of comments. On, we got at least six. We got six, especially now. Uh, I'd like to thank our sponsors, Soccer America and Ticket IQ for Sam Griswold and Grail Hallett. I'm Kevin Flynn, and we'll talk to you next time on OTP.